Go. Have you guys ever heard the say, you know, close enough for horseshoes and what? Hand grenades. I read online about it. It used to be um, and, uh, atomic bombs, but they figured that wasn't very good to say that. You know, they're like, oh man, that's a lot of death there. But, you know, close enough for horseshoes and hand grenades. You know, meaning that, hey, you know what? It's good enough. You know what? It's close enough. You really don't got to worry about it. Don't spend too much time getting, you know, fretting about how close you are. You know what? Good enough. What I wanted to talk about today is what about you and God? What is close, um, close enough for you? Maybe for you, if you've been around for quite some time, you've heard somebody say, I'm feeling close to God today. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I've wondered, well, what does that even mean? Like, what is that? You're feeling close to God. Can you tell me what that is? How do I get there? You know, I want to feel that closeness. Can you explain to me what it is? Right? And that's kind of a difficult question to even, like, answer for yourself. You're like, well, I'm just feeling it. I'm just feeling close to God. Like, okay, well, great. But why are you feeling close to God? So my question this morning for you is how close to God are you? And what would actually determine how close you are to God? You know, today the title of my message is Proximity Christianity. I really wanted to focus in how do we define our Christianity? And a lot of times we would look at, well, how close am I to God? Where am I in proximity to God? And that would define really how we're feeling about ourselves and how we're feeling about how good or how bad we are doing as a Christian. So let's turn over to Genesis 35. We're going to be picking up back in there. We're going to be closing out the study of Jacob. And, you know, Jacob himself, honestly, maybe you felt this way, maybe you haven't. It's kind of a, kind of like a, I don't know where to put him a lot of times. I'm like, is he a good guy? You know, is he a great example? You know, he deceives a lot. Uh, You know, not exactly the most uh, trustworthy guy. Uh, I don't know if I was his friend. If, you know, he would tell me something, I may have to question it and ask him a few times. Maybe kind of watch, watch my own um, back around him, right? Kind of like, hey, what's going on here, Jacob? Your name literally means deceives. It's kind of a hint there, right? You know, and we even saw last week with Paul did just a great job, really just tackling a very challenging passage. We see his daughter ends up getting raped. And he seems to kind of, ah, really doesn't matter. In fact, he's like, well, let me just go make this right, not by defending my daughter's honor, but let's try to figure out if we can work this out. Let's just, let's just get them married. I think that will smooth things over. So Jacob, kind of an odd character in Genesis. I'm like, I don't really know where he fits, where he lines up, but yet, he's part of God's chosen line. He's, he is literally the seed of Adam, right? This is the seed that, that we've seen from Genesis all the way through is that, hey, this is God's man here. That's right. You know, and let's uh, pick up in Genesis chapter 35. 
in verse 1, and it reads, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God who, who um, appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods that you have, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. That was part of being purified. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods, the gods they had, and the rings in their ears. That was, most people believe, that was a symbol of the foreign gods that they had served. Um, And Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem. Then they set out. And the terror of God fell on all the towns, all um, around them, so that no one pursued them. Probably they didn't, you know, the terror of God fell on them. Why? Because we learned about last week, they annihilated a whole city. So I don't know about you, it's, you know, I don't know if I want to hang out or, you know, get close to them. It's like, these guys are bad news. So let's keep on going. In verse 6, it says, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel. Because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, um, uh, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried uh, under the oak outside of Bethel. So it was named Alon Bakhuth. And we'll stop right there. Now Jacob, we see here, he's called back. And if you were able to flip on back to chapter 28, which was quite a while ago that we read that, God actually visits him there in Bethel. Now, when he was there, he comes to Jacob in this dream. And he promises Jacob, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bless you. And it's going to be great. But you need to come back here. And Jacob says, all right, God. If you go ahead and bless me, you go ahead and take and take care of me. You, if you watch over me, I'll come back. Now, it's been 30 years since he's made that promise. You know, and the interesting thing about Jacob is that he's not so far away. He's actually about 30 miles from Bethel here. So he's close enough to feel good. To feel like, you know what? I'm close enough to God. But I'm not actually all the way there. And you know, he sets up camp and he even builds an altar to God out there in um, Shechem, 30 miles um, away from where God expected him to, to be. And so we can start to see how Jacob was probably feeling. You know what? I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do my thing. Me and God, we understand each other. It's going to be great. I'm going to keep living my life. God's going to keep blessing me and it's just going to get better and better. But you know what? I'm going to stay right here where I'm comfortable, where I've bought, where I purchased my land. This is my land. This is my home. And I'm staying right here. And he has this um, appearance of being close to God, but yet far away from him in his heart. You know, as we see here in this passage, he's picked up idols along the way. 
We see that his, his, his people, his camp has gotten so far away from God that he feels it necessary that they purify themselves. God didn't tell him to do that. He felt like, you know what? We got to get things right before we move in to get close to where God wants us to be. Yet he was feeling comfortable for 30 years, kind of hanging out, doing his own thing, collecting these idols, building up these um, impurities towards God. But as he's called back, he feels like, you know what? I got to shed all of this. I got to do this for, um, for real this time. You know, for us, proximity, Christianity, I think we can fall into the exact same trap. With this, we look like we're close to God. But yet, if you were really to look underneath, there are some idols that we've collected along the way. There are some sins that we've gathered and we've allowed in our camp. That in fact, that from the outside, it looks like we're close, but yet there is still a distance between us and God. We might look closer to God than others, living way out. But yet for us, it looks like, you know what? Since I'm close, I'm close um, enough. You know that I don't need to get any closer to God. Me and God, we have this understanding. Especially as Christians, as the years go on, we start to feel more comfortable with where we've settled. We start to feel more confident in the fact that, you know what, I'm in the right place. This is where God wants me to be. And we get this false sense of confidence. You know, we have a confidence in the fact that, hey, I come to church every Sunday. I'm going to dust my seat off. I'm going to sit right there. I know everybody here. I fellowship with them. I say, hey, I read my Bible every day. I even share my faith once a week. I'm feeling good about myself. Me and God, we are close. Man, I don't do all those crazy sins that I see my neighbors doing. Man, I even... You know, I've heard my neighbors yelling and screaming at each other. Man, at least in my house, I keep that within the walls. I close the windows. Right? You know, we start feeling that, you know what? I'm close to God. And my life is fine just the way it is. But I'm still 30 miles out. You know, Jacob here, we start to see that he has built this altar. And in fact, the chapter uh, previous that we uh, actually didn't get to read, that he purchases a piece of land. Now, if you remember, God promised him what? That he would give him all this land. Now we see Jacob going out and purchasing it himself and saying, you know what? I'm going to settle here. I got to take care of my needs. I got to get comfortable. I got to make sure my family is taken care of. I'm going to settle here with this um, appearance of being close to God. But yet in his heart, there is a distance there. And this is quite possibly the worst trap that Satan has set up for us as Christians, isn't it, church? The fact that it looks like we are close to God, but in fact, it could be further from the truth. You know, 2 Timothy Chapter 3, it talks about, Paul writes about how that they have a form of godliness, but denying its power. This is not a, something that happened just in Genesis, but in fact, we see Paul talking about it. Say, hey, church, you got to make sure that you keep 
that your life and doctrine still match. That you don't deny God's power. That you don't just look like you follow God. But in fact, in your homes, in your heart, it is all there for God. In Revelation chapter 2, it talks about that we have lost our first love. That being God. That we've walked away from it. And he's um, addressing a church here. From the outside, looks like they worship God. Looks like they're close to God. But yet, they've walked away from their first love. And further, in the next chapter, chapter 3, it talks about that there's a church that has gained security in their wealth. Security in what they've gained. There's a comfortability has set in. And God's response is, I'm ready and willing to spit you out of my mouth. There's this comfortability that sets in for Christians that we feel like I'm close enough. That's good enough. You know, over time, church, you know, we can pick up idols. We can allow sin in our lives that at one point in time, we would have never have dreamed would have crept back in. Into our lives. Into our homes and into our hearts. You know, the interesting thing here is, I don't think Jacob, I don't think this happened overnight. We're talking 30 years. Those are small things. And I'm saying, you know what, I'm gonna, it's not that big of a deal that my wife has an uh, idol. That's actually what ends up happening. You know, it's not me, it's just her. I'm kind of keep it at arm's length. But slowly adding these idols and these sins back into his life. For Jacob, over 30 years, a lot, is, a lot has changed for him, hasn't it? He's gained wives. He's got 13 kids now. He set out first with nothing, if you remember. Running away from his brother. Nothing but the clothes on his back. Now he's got family, he's got tons of people he's got to look over, he's got wealth, he's got flocks, he's got it all. But somewhere along the way, he started to compromise his faith. He started to compromise him and God. There was a distance starting to form to the point where he needed to purify. I think church, for some of us, we need to look at our lives and purify We need to figure out, is there anything that has crept back in that we need to push on out? That when we come to God, unfortunately, sometimes we don't even feel the shame that Jacob did. We feel like, you know what, me and God, we're good. I don't need to get rid of this. It's not that big of a deal. But in fact, we need to purify our own lives, our own hearts. I don't know if you guys have ever seen um, someone suffering with uh, cancer. And actually dying because of cancer. You know, a couple years back, uh, I got to see um, someone who was very close to me uh, actually go through this and suffer through cancer. And the hardest thing about it was literally I have in my mind snapshots of him where he gets, he gets worse and worse. It's a, it's a visible thing. It's a visible thing where, you know what, the cancer itself starts off small as one cell. It begins to spread throughout the body. 
corrupting the body, destroying the body, and eventually causing death. In the same way, the small sins that we allow, the small idols that we just um, allow into our lives, even though we feel like it is so small, doesn't really matter, not that big of a deal. It will slowly eat away at our soul. It will slowly eat away. It becomes the cancer between you and God. But yet, we allow that. Some of us, church, are rotting from the inside out. We have the outside. It looks like, you know what, by um, proximity, we are still a Christian. That we still have, we look as if we are still close to God. Sometimes I like to flip through the Gospels, look at who Jesus is, kind of take a Jesus survey. Kind of look at who Jesus is, and you know, as a disciple, if I'm called to follow Jesus, I think it's a good idea sometimes to be able to look at who Jesus is and say, am I actually following? Does my life actually match him? Church, what about for you? When was the last time you took a Jesus survey? Look at your life and ask yourself, does it still match? Have I pushed the boundaries a little bit? Do I still look like Christ? Am I still striving to look like Jesus? Or has there the distance grown? You know, have we lost that radical edge? You know, for a lot of us, as we grow as disciples, as we grow older in life, you know, we have the um, just um, excuse, I have uh, matured in life. I got responsibilities now. I got priorities. God understands that. You can imagine Jacob saying the same thing, right? God, me and you, we were close. You were my number one when I had nothing. But now, I got family. I got a whole people traveling with me, God. I got I to take care of their needs. You know, right outside Bethel, this perfect forest, nice little piece of land. I can feed them. I can take care of their needs. But yet that distance still. For a lot of us, we put our priorities out there. So I got to seek after them first. I got to meet those needs first. And that becomes our idol, which in fact is just ourselves. That we've set up an idol as opposed to God. We've set ourselves up in the place of Him. But when has the power of God become so weak that He's not able to meet your needs? That He's not able to take on your responsibilities. That He's not able to work through the situations in your life. That you have to set yourself up as God. So what about you, church? What have you picked up? What sins have you allowed in your lives? Some of the sins in our lives, honestly, I think it's gotten to a scary place. The darkness in our own hearts. What about in your homes? You know, in our homes, that is the place that it's just us, right? Yeah. A lot of times... Man, when we walk in through that door, we're a different person. We're a different person with our spouse. The way we talk to them, the way we react to them, the way that we feel justified in our tone. What about with your own children? You know, 
Unfortunately, with Kelly and I being able to work with the teens, one of the downsides of that, if you will, sometimes it's the downside because I just don't like seeing it, is I get to see into your homes. I get to see into your homes. I get to hear about the conversations. I get to hear about the yelling and the screaming, the fighting, the hurtful words, what you do and what you don't do. I get to hear about those things. I think for a lot of us, there's a proximity Christianity. On the outside, it looks like we're close. In fact, our homes are quite distant. I think um, another area, church, that we deal with is purity. Now, I know I've talked about this quite a bit in my in my own life and you know the battles that I face. You know, and about nine years ago, I had to take a survey of my life, not of my own righteousness, but in fact by the hand and by the words of my wife. <laughs> Calling it out, saying, Jeff, you know what? Your standard is not the same as Jesus. What you look at, not the same as Jesus. And I'm willing to bet the thoughts inside your mind are not the thoughts of Jesus. And I had to take a hard look and be able to really ask myself, is it a proximity Christianity? And do I have the outward um, appearance of looking like Christ? But yet on the inside, it's something completely different. On the inside is still the idols and the sin that I have set up, that I've carried along, that I've allowed to fester, that I've picked up and picked up and picked up. But still looking like a Christian. Still looking like I'm close to God. And I had to purify myself. I had to purge. And it was not easy. And it was not fun. But church, you can fill in the blank whether it's purity, pride, deceit, greed. You know, every week we do take an offering. And I'm not here to harp on the fact that you need to give more. What I'm here to say is you need to give your first fruits. It's not whatever you feel like in your heart to give. That's false doctrine. It's first fruits. But unfortunately that doesn't get taught so much or that's not what we want to hear. Because of the greed that we've allowed. That sin, those idols that we've put up in our own lives. The first fruits to God. Why? Because He's taking care of you. He's given you uh, salvation. He gives you the breath within your body. If He asks for the first fruits, who are you to say no? I had an interesting conversation with a teen at teen camp. Well, in fact, a former teen. Um, And this former teen ended up getting baptized uh, a lot later in life. He didn't get baptized within uh, his Christian home. His uh, parents, you know, were um, disciples. His parents, you know, were Christians. And I had a, um, a conversation with them, and I just wanted to know. I'm trying to say his name. I'm trying not to. Uh, you know, what made you want to be a disciple later on? Yeah. Kind of the second question to that is, why did you want to become a disciple earlier? Because he was actually in the team ministry with me at some point in time. Dude wouldn't give me the time of day. I would go to talk to him. He'd turn around and walk away. No lie. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, so now you're a disciple. You know, I'm 
honestly kind of asking for myself too. Did I do something to you? You know, is there something I need to change? You know, am I a weirdo? You know, whatever. And he turns around and he starts talking to me. He said, you know why I didn't want to get baptized? You know why I didn't want to follow God? Because I saw my parents' lives. I said, if that's what it means to follow God, if that's what it actually comes to following God, I don't want that. There was a proximity, Christianity. And unfortunately, it was just their children that paid the price. And we, as we go on, Throughout Genesis, we're going to see that exact same thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know who comes up next? Joseph. You know what happens to him? Yeah. Brothers sell him off into slavery. Not exactly a good family situation. Right. Where do you think they learned all that? You know, there's proximity Christianity. We can convince ourselves that it's not a big deal. That I'm close enough. But in fact, we do need to purify our homes, our lives, and our hearts. Let's, let's continue on. In verse 9. It says, After Jacob came back to um, Padam um, Aram, which is the same place, Bethel, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. But you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community, of, a community of nations will come from you. And kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it, and Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. You know, throughout Jacob's mess, throughout Jacob's wandering, throughout Jacob's feeling like I'm close enough, what does God do? He comes down to him right there. Verse 13 and 14, it talks about how God came down, had a conversation with Jacob. Not one of, you know what, Jacob, you've messed up. I'm sick and tired of you. I'm finding someone else. I'm done. In fact, God is the exact opposite. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. All the promises that I spoke to your forefathers, I give to you. Not based on how awesome you are. Not based on how close we've been. Yeah. But based on the fact that I'm God Almighty. Amen. And I choose you. Now in Luke 15, Jesus speaks of the parable of the lost sheep. The thing that always struck me is he has 99. But yet goes after that one. And you're kind of like, yeah, that's what it says. But how did he know that one was missing? I don't know if you've ever walked and seen sheep. Uh, they don't necessarily stand still. And so it's not like they're numbered. And Jesus is like, well, that's one, and that's two, and that's three, four. You back there? Four, yeah, come on now. You know, five, step up. Why don't you guys come on through? No, he noticed that one was gone. He noticed that the one was gone. He knew that sheep. The same way here we see that God 
knew Jacob. God called Jacob individually. That God searched for Jacob, found Jacob, and wanted to bless him. Searched for him and called him back and said, I know this is what you told me you were going to do. But I'm calling you back, Jacob. The one sheep wandered off. Jesus said, you know what? you got to stay here with, with the rest of the sheep. But yet that one goes. And he calls him back. The same for us, church. That God is calling you back. God is calling you back. God has been searching. He's calling you back. I love in the parable of the lost sheep the fact that it says that there is more rejoicing over that one than all the 99. Because why? Because he's calling you back. That's why God sent his son to bless you, to call you back. Not because you are so incredible, not because of your track record, not because you and God have been so close over, over the years yeah. that he's like, you know what, I'm finally going to pay you back for all those years of service. You and me, just together. Heaven, I got it for you. Sins, washed away, because you've earned it. In fact, it's quite the opposite. That God wants to bless you, why? Because he is God Almighty. Yeah. But that's not where it stops. I think too many times, church, that we're quick to jump to that restoration. That we're quick to jump to the grace. We're quick to jump to the fact that, you know what? God is searching for me. That's awesome. It's great. Life goes on. This is amazing. I'm close to God now. It's great. But there still was, you notice here in Jacob, there was a um, uh, obedience. There was an um, obedience to God. There was a moment in time where he still had to go back. He still had to listen. You know, for us, it is following the scriptures. It is first us calling sin, sin. Us being able to look at our lives and say, you know, what is the sin in our lives? What are the idols that we've added? But then being humble enough to allow people into our lives. To ask for help. To ask to pure to help purify. To ask for help. The second part here that we've seen that ends up happening is that there's a separation from sin. There's a literal, you're I'm taking it out of my camp and I'm leaving it. For us to have a restored relationship with God, not only do we have to listen to Him, but we actually have to go through the process of removing the sin from our lives. No matter how painful that is. No matter how many um, just uh, times that you've tried and failed, you still have to remove it from your life. That restoration between you and God cannot happen. Your proximity Christianity can't get any better until you remove that sin from your life. You can't get any closer to God with sin in your life. You want to be with God? You want to have close proximity to God? Then clean your house. Clean your heart. Clean your life. Leave it all behind. So where are you, church, with God this morning? Maybe you've placed your hope in proximity Christianity. That you are just close um, 
close to God, and that's good. Um, that's good. You know, I want you to look at your life, church, and see what kind of mess that you've added. You know, and the question that we've been talking about is how close we are to God. But you can flip it. How far are we from God? How far, how big has that distance grown? Because any distance is not close enough. You've got to be with God. We've got to look at our lives and do we just think we're close? But in, in fact, we're far. There is a distance. There is no middle ground. It's either you're close or you're far. As in close to God, not close as in distance. You know, let us not fall into the trap of proximity Christianity. But let us actually go after living the way that God wants us to, church. Listening to His Word. Getting rid of the idols that we've placed in our lives. Let us get close to God. We need to stop banking on the false sense of confidence that we have that I'm good and that I'm close. We've got to be um, obedient to Christ and separate our sins. No, we're not going to make it on proximity to Christianity. Yeah. You know, Christianity is not horseshoes and hand yeah. Come on, Jeff. grenades. Amen. It's not. There's no points for being close. Amen. Amen. You either you're in or you're out. Church, God is calling you back. Let us answer and let us go. Thank you. Amen.